0: Hi, I'm Lori Grant, Managing Editor of Transport Topics. Welcome to our Live on Web edition. We're going to recap the year for you today and attempt to peer into the future. A great deal happened on the regulatory front and in business to impact trucking this year. And the same is anticipated for 2016. To put those attention grabbing issues in perspective, we have once again called on Transport Topics reporters. Rip Watson is here. He covers business, and Eugene Molero, who covers congressional and governmental affairs. And also joining us is Sean McNally, spokesman for American Trucking Associations. He'll give us a hand with initiatives the Federation has had this year and shed light on some of what's to come. We welcome your interaction as well. Email your questions to, and, and comments to share at ttnews.com. Or you can comment directly on this article page. Our sponsor for today's program is Select Trucks. Welcome, um, Eugene. Uh, let's we'll, we'll get to um, the agreement on legislative packaging and extending uh, tax breaks uh, at the government in a bit. But I want to start. Um, with that much anticipated piece of legislation signed into law earlier this month, fixing America's surface transportation or FAST. Uh, Tell us about the key provisions in that legislation for trucking.
1: Yeah, and really the FAST Act was the most significant uh, transportation issue to come out of uh, Capitol Hill this year. And it was a five year, $305 billion uh, highway law. Therefore, trucking, it removes from public view the compliance safety accountability scores and these were scores that the trucking industry had long criticized uh, and it also sets in motion reforms uh, to that CSA program. Additionally, it, um, it approves um, hair testing as an alternative to urine tests uh, for pre-employment screening. Uh, those are two key provisions for trucking and additionally uh, for the entire agency FMCSA it set myriad reforms to grant systems and grant allocations okay Sean anything else that the Federation expected out of FAST that
0: you know happened or did not I
2: don't know if expected but I think we were a little you know while we're certainly appreciative that the you know we came to a long-term funding solution or at least a funding solution for the next five years. Uh, We didn't get to a long-term sustainable solution in terms of either a a gas tax or or some other long-term mechanism to keep the Highway Trust Fund solvent. you know, Governor Graves has said that the, essentially these funding, uh, the, the funding mechanisms and pay-fors were rummaging through the couch cushions. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we would have liked to see more uh, more done on that front. Uh, we're happy it held the line on tolling, uh, limiting the interstate tolling conversion projects to three states and putting some extra restrictions on states that, that get those, uh, those pilot slots. Uh, and one other sort of You know, provision of note uh, is on younger drivers. Uh, Mm -hmm. Both the House and Senate had envisioned pilot programs that would have allowed drivers under the age of 21 to get commercial driver's licenses uh, and, and operate across state lines. Currently all 48 contiguous states allow drivers under 21 to drive intra. This would have allowed limited inter, uh, part of some interstate compacts. Uh, with restrictions, we viewed it as the beginning of, of a graduated licensing system uh, to bring younger younger drivers into the uh, into the industry. And with graduated permissions, they'll gradually get more responsibility and, and, and ability to drive. Uh, that was replaced in the final bill with a, a pilot program for young veterans, um, veterans or reservists under the age of 21, which uh, is a much much smaller population uh, than I think we were hoping for, but it does require this uh, Secretary of Transportation and DOT to examine the safety records of younger drivers in trust state. So we're hopeful that that will provide the data, uh, safety data to move forward on a larger pilot program in the future. Okay,
0: possibly, not possibly, but I guess it will expand um, the driver pool there. Rip, what about on the business front? Fleets, uh, anything in fast for fleets?
3: (laughs) Well, definitely I'm positive that every single fleet out there is going to welcome roads that are in better condition, bridges that are in better condition. Um, That's obvious. The bigger and more interesting fact uh, to me is that we need to remember that CSA, uh, just because it's gone away, doesn't mean that the issues that it raised are going to go away overnight. Um, think about it. CSA was a safety benchmark. Mm-hmm. Even though people didn't like it very much and they said it was very inaccurate, it was used extensively in the courts, uh, which opened up liability for fleets, for brokers, and for shippers. Um, as those scores were used uh, basically against them but occasionally you know for a, a, to favor a particular carrier. So bottom line here is that you know
0: they're, they're just not public they're, well, they're not in, it's not as if they don't
3: exist well no that's true and frankly the plaintiff's bar has shown over and over that they're very imaginative and creative um, you know I could see a situation where f- fleets will now have to be, defend themselves against the fact that their scores were bad in the past. They're gonna to have to say, oh, well we made this better somehow without actually being able to show the data mm-hmm. to
1: prove it. And I think that's why there was a concern on Capitol Hill by you know, key senators and the trucking panels and uh, members of the House that they uh, heard the concerns from industry and that's why they push to see uh, reforms enacted to the csa program and those reforms are expected to uh, take several months of review and a review process uh, to ultimately have a a new program in place uh, for the industry
3: had to start somewhere right
1: exactly Mm -hmm. okay now uh eugene
0: let's get back to uh what's unfolding on capitol hill where there are tax and spending bills that need to get through congress where do those stand, what do we know so far? We realize a lot of it is still happening, some votes won't occur until tomorrow even, but what what do we know so far?
1: So late into the night uh, and into early this morning, uh, we saw congressional leaders on the Hill uh, agree to a uh, comprehensive tax package, uh, which is expected to reach the floors for a vote before the end of this week. Uh, And also what everybody's talking about is the Fiscal 2016 massive spend funding bill, which is called an omnibus, mm-hmm. uh, and in this omnibus is relevant for transportation because not only would it ensure uh, transportation uh, funding for the t- Department of Transportation and its agencies uh, through the end of September, but also uh, there were some key provisions that the, the trucking industry was pushing for. One of which. Uh, did not make the omnibus, and that was to authorize the use of twin 33-foot trailers uh, nationwide. Uh, There was uh, some strong opposition by a small group of senators uh, led by a Mississippi Republican, Roger Wicker, uh, that really did not support uh, authorizing the twin 33s. Uh, That and some outcry from outside groups is what I believe ultimately uh, you know, led for this provision not to make it in this omnibus. Uh, another key provision in this omnibus is uh, that it enhances a study on an hours of service a restart rule uh, and this restart rule is currently suspended uh, and the new language on the study will most likely uh, ex- extend the suspension for several more months, even longer. Uh, and a vote on the omnibus uh, will very likely happen at the end of this week.
0: Okay, Sean, any? I, I mean, the, from especially me. this issue of twins and
1: sure. Well, we'll start with hours of service because that's yeah. that's. You
2: know, this is a, this is a good day for trucking and it's a good day for highway safety. Um, the, the hours of service restart restrictions, which were imposed in 2013, mm-hmm. uh, we said at the time, we said beforehand, we said after, uh, and then we subsequently saw ATRI data that bore this out. Uh, we said that the restrictions, the two 1 a.m. to 5 a.m.s would, particular, would uh, inc- lead to an increase in daytime driving. Uh, daytime being the riskiest time of day to be on the road statistically. Um, And that was borne out and what the this uh, more robust study is going to to do is It raises the bar for FMCSA. They now have to show their work uh, what they should have done ahead of time So this is going to be a long-term suspension of these uh, these restrictions This is a good thing for for highway safety. It's a good thing for trucking Uh, on 33s You know obviously a little disappointed that um Congress was cowed, uh, ultimately cowed at the end um, by, by, you know, by fear-mongering, by, by not looking at the statistical uh, yeah, records. Uh, if you look at where these, these combinations and, and larger combinations are, are allowed, whether it's uh, Florida and North Dakota, which extensively use 33s, or the 19 other states that have various combinations that are, are larger than, uh, than, than the ones we're talking about, uh, their safety record is excellent. Uh, relative to to your standard truck. Uh, this is an opportunity lost, really, for, for safety. It would have eliminated the need for about uh, 6.6 million truck trips mm-hmm. that truck trips not taken or crash opportunities not had. Would have reduced crashes by more than 900. Fewer vehicles, uh, fewer, just by fewer vehicles. By, being on the road. Yes, by fewer vehicles on the road. It, it would have. There, there are tremendous upsides to this with no significant downside. So it's a lost opportunity. Uh, you know, ATA believes that there needs to be some sort of productivity enhancement. There hasn't been one since 1981. Um, Many of the you know the the segment of trucking that that would be most affected by this cubes out often before it weighs out, uh, meaning that they have they don't reach the uh, the federal weight limits, but they could carry more cargo if it, they had a modest increase in trailer length. So we're, we're obviously disappointed, but uh, we believe that ultimately that this will continue to be a discussion uh, had uh, had in trucking and in uh, in the halls of Congress.
0: Well, I mean, well, is it dead or can it come up again, and or does that require yeah. Is that, a, in essence, an election question? You need a whole new Congress to try to get something like that through.
2: We'll have to see. I mean, ATA will continue to look for opportunities to, to advance a, a pro-safety, pro-efficiency, pro-trucking agenda. Uh, so, you know, next year is a new year, and we'll have to see what happens. All right. And
1: it's very interesting, I'm still on the 33s, that from a legislative perspective, uh, for the provision not to make the omnibus because it got support, bipartisan support in the House by funding leaders there and also in the Senate. Uh, there was a um, key support from senior uh, members in the appropriations committees and in leadership. Uh, you had, you know, the chairman of committees uh, backing this provision. So uh, it speaks to this strong but small opposition, you know, led by the senator from Mississippi. Uh, he has some bipartisan support on that. But again, it's just, um, I'm surprised that 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 small influence ultimately um, you know, one over and uh, and it resulted in not having the 33s in the omnibus. Well, let's
3: let's be a little clear here, though the 33s, while they were offering 18 percent more productivity, which is why uh, package carriers and some less-than-truckload carriers. Loved the idea. Let's be clear that there are a lot of trucking companies that did not like this. Uh, The Truckload Carriers Association, another large group, uh, spoke out very much against it. They did not like the equipment expense that would happen. Uh, I'm not suggesting that anybody's right or wrong here. I'm just saying that this was not, you know, a a handful of people who were fear mongering.
1: Yeah, no. And uh, there were. other groups outside transportation groups that um, were very animated and persistent in calling mm-hmm. on members of Congress uh, to uh, you know oppose authorizing the twin 33s uh, it wasn't just from industry it was from you know some outside transportation groups as well
0: mm-hmm. okay Okay. Well, um, our lawmakers weren't the only ones on a roll. Uh, seems like regulators were as well. And just last week, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration rolled out its final rule on using electronic logging devices. Eugene, uh, what does this rule mandate, and how is the industry obligated to use it? It's been, you know, long awaited. So it's happened now. Tell us a little bit more about it. What does it mandate? How is it? How does the industry have yeah, to use it Yeah, this is the
1: long-awaited electronic logging device rule that uh, the final rule was announced last week. Um, and it required truckers to uh, shift from paper logs to electronic logs uh, to maintain their hours of service records. Uh, it also sets uh, technology requirements for these e-logs, as they're known. And uh, based on you know my reporting, uh, about you know, 3 million truckers will be impacted uh, on this. Uh, This was a, um, uh, the industry uh, has been calling for this for many years, and there's uh, uh, support uh, not only from, you know, key transportation groups, but also, uh, you know, technology firms for this. All right. Sean, you mentioned safety and efficiency
0: and the things you ticked off a minute ago about the industry. Tell me how... how, you know, tell me how the industry sees uh, ELDs, well, when comes uh, to, especially when it comes to putting hours of service into perspective.
2: ATA is, is thrilled. Uh, the The announcement uh, last week was historic. This is this is a, another good day two for trucking. Yes, yeah, two, two historic lot, lot, trucking. lots of history. Lots of history this year. Um, you know, I, I think uh, electronic logs have been uh, something ATA has advocated for 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 many years now. Uh, we're happy to see it finally go get across the goal line. Um, you know, government uh, doesn't always respond as quickly uh, when for for things, but we're happy that they did here. Um, it's going to improve compliance, you know. We were, we have been uh, operating a uh, 20, 20th, 21st century industry using uh, 17th century technology of, of pencil and paper, you know, moving that forward can only be, uh, can only be a positive uh, in terms of, of saving drivers time in filling out logs, doing calculations, all those sorts of things. So more efficiency. More efficiency there. And and safety, you know, we have you know, there's a strong connection between compliance with the hours of service rules and highway safety. And there's also a strong connection between use of electronic logs and compliance with hours of service. So you can build that chain from an electronic logging device to improvements in highway safety. So we're, we're looking forward to, to full implementation in two years. Uh, we know there are many carriers, many ATA members that have adopted these devices or similar devices already. Uh, they'll have an additional two years to make sure that their technology is up to spec, uh, whether it's a software update or, or whatever. That, that grandfather period was important to To Many of our members who have already made the investment Meaning in...
0: Meaning all of 20, the grandfather period, all mm. of 2016?
2: Well, they'll, they'll have two years beyond the compli- the uh, compliance date. So compliance date is uh, December, December of 2017, 2017. so they'll okay. have till 2019 to if they need a software update or, or whatever, that but that grandfather period is is uh, is was important to our members and, and important to carriers. Have already made the investment to uh, in these devices. All right,
0: Rip, are businesses interpreting it the same way? There was some grumbling about productivity and HOS at some point. Do do they see businesses see this as a good thing?
3: Um, I think you could probably say that businesses in general think it's a good thing. Um, drivers who are Uh, part of a small fleet where drivers who are truly independent uh, are still going to want miles. You will hear fleets of all sizes say that what their drivers want is miles. Mm -hmm. And because miles mean money for truckload drivers. Um, So bottom line, um, there are going to continue to be people who are going to want, up until the last minute, to run those extra miles just mm-hmm. on the theory that okay. they need it in order to uh, pay for the family uh, homestead and all mm-hmm. those other good things.
0: Mm-hmm. OK, OK. We, we had a lot of um, questions about this, lots and lots of interest on ELDs. And um, Paul Will, the CEO of Celadon Group, uh, got to us. And he wanted to know how quickly do you think ELDs will impact capacity rip you want to take a shot at that if you
3: I'd be happy to uh one of the things I think we need to remember is that um, trucking technology over time doesn't get instantly adopted so I think you would have to uh presume that this is going to be a gradual mm. process and may last for several years however uh, we need to remember also that capacity is driven by uh, a variety of factors beyond whether there's a logging device in a truck. For example, if there is any change in hours of service when all of the studies are over at the same time that there's a pressure on capacity because logging devices are going to put cheating drivers out of, uh, out of business or forcing them into compliance, mm-hmm. we're certainly looking at something that uh, over the long term mm-hmm. is going to be a big issue.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, uh, 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 here's another one, Eugene. Um, Andrew Malashevsky, CEO of Malashevsky Consulting, says, what are the chances that the ELD rule and, and HOS will be stalled in courts? And we're kind of seeing some of that now with Elida, aren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, uh, just to take a step back, it's not uncommon for you know groups to uh, not everybody to be in support of a rule, uh, that's obvious, and for uh, opponents of a rule to file suits, uh, not only in transportation, but writ large uh, in the federal government. Uh, and recently, I believe this week, uh, OIDA uh, filed a suit uh, for, on the agency uh, over ELDs. Uh, that could have an effect. However, you know we could see other uh, opposition uh, come forward, but you, you know the momentum is there on the rule uh, and on hours of service. Um, you know, with what's going on in the in the omnibus to extend the the HOS um, the study on the hours of service rule, uh, it's likely uh, that the opponents of that may hold off and you know see where we are on the study of that before. Uh, taking their next steps Mm -hmm. um,
2: on the issue. uh, And just to tack on uh, regarding ELD uh, litigation, um, part of the delay in getting this final rule out last week was a lawsuit by, again, OIDA, um, mainly on the grounds that they believe these devices could be used to coerce or harass drivers. Uh, Before this rule came out, FMCSA addressed those concerns with a separate rulemaking on on driver coercion. Coercion. Mm -hmm. So we're hopeful that this rule will, will, you know, any lawsuit against it will fail and that that this rule will go into effect as scheduled.
1: Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of momentum and support industry-wide. So uh, people have to take that into account. All right.
0: We'll take one more. Rip, this is for you as well. Um, Gerald Richards, CFO at Classic Carriers, Inc., he asks, Will the announcement of the ELD rule have any impact on shippers' perception of capacity constraints? And will it have an impact on freight rates in the near term? Oh, definitely.
3: Uh, and here's why. So, mm-hmm. when you think about it, um, shippers aren't paying for freight, the, all the freight that moves, you know, 20 minutes uh, before or after the freight moves. They're, most of the business that's moved in this country by truck Mm -hmm. is under contract. So what the shippers' perception of how much compliance there's going to be is going to be a factor in terms of the amount of capacity that they think there is going to be. And there's no question that there's a close tie between rates and capacity. All you need to do is look at last year when freight uh, capacity was very tight and uh, rates rose for truckload, uh, mm. six or seven percent, uh, pretty steadily during the year.
0: Okay, okay, all right. Thank you for that. Um, I I I think there's not hesitation on my face that it is. Um, I was trying. You, you said that when capacity is tight. Mm-hmm. Um, with ELDs, and this, you mentioned earlier about miles and time on the mm-hmm. road, these two—these two—how um, do I say this? They react to each other.
3: Sure. I mean, it's it's going to happen. Um, that might have been what Paul's question was at, I'm certain was getting at. Um, you know, we've got uh, an issue that ELDs could reduce capacity because they are not universal now and the fact that uh, those who don't have them are probably running much longer and uh, more miles and therefore uh, Um, when they go away um, we're going to uh, be in a situation where the number of drivers won't change but the miles that were run before uh, aren't going to change either and the result is Is going to be capacity. I see. So we're
0: looking really at a level playing field come 2017, 2019. That's Ah.
3: certainly what the proponents liked.
0: All right. Uh, this is live on web edition of Transport Topics. I'm managing editor Lori Grant and with me are business reporter Rip Watson, that's who was just speaking, congressional re- reporter Eugene Mulero and ATA spokesman Sean McNally. You too can join the conversation, email your questions or comments to share at ttnews.com or comment directly on this article page. All right, I wanna to switch to um, the economy uh, for a little bit. I mean, it's I know it's a, a big thing, but we got a lot of ground to cover here. So housing, autos, uh, the consumer section, they all had some strength over this year, but lagging were manufacturing, energy, exploration, fuel prices. Um, RIP house trucking fared uh, among all of these ups and downs.
3: I think you would say that um, tonnage is, um, has been moving up and down in opposite directions for almost all of the year from month to month. Uh, what's sometimes lost is the fact that uh, the latest statistics that we have from <laughs> the American Trucking Associations is that tonnage is almost at record levels. This is quite an achievement for two reasons. Uh, One, it it is the fact that tonnage, up until uh, the energy exploration boom uh, slowed down or ended, tonnage was being propped up and helped by the fact that fleets, flatbed fleets and tank fleets were moving a lot of sand and Mm. pipe to uh, energy exploration. Mm -hmm. People don't see it fracking, and in fact the rig count for fracking, I just looked at this yesterday, Uh, the active rig count of exploration is down 60% from this time last year. So that tells you that uh, though tank carriers and flatbed guys have had to find a different Mm -hmm. uh, way to make their money or move into a different segment of the business like housing, which has done reasonably well this year. Um, Overall though, um, trucking moves the economy, as many people have said, and the consumer is the biggest portion of mm-hmm. the U.S. economy. So uh, that's been a positive, and those companies that are big in consumer uh, have certainly signaled that.
0: Okay, Sean, anything else that the end that the federation is? Uh- I mean, I
2: think Rip covered quite a bit of it. Uh, you know, we can say that the the last tonnage report for 2015 will be out next Tuesday. So, so tune in for that. Um, But you know, as as Rip said, consumer good, uh, consumer purchasing has been good. That that helps with a ton particularly around this time of year. Uh, You know, trucks trucks deliver quite a lot of uh, consumer goods that wind up under uh, trees later on in the month. (laughs) Uh, Fuel prices, uh, fuel uh, plummeting as as TT has reported week after week. Uh, is not only a uh, net positive for the industry; it's a positive for uh, for consumers. We're actually
0: going to we're actually going to get to that uh, because it was a big story this year. The average price for diesel is ending the year under two dollars and forty cents a gallon, which is more than seventy cents from where it started at the top of the year. So it's been, as you said, plummeting. Um, what's been the impact to fleets? I I would imagine it's been sweet.
3: Oh. But- <laughs> um these are it's good it's a good time to be a trucker is uh-huh. the way that <laughs> someone from cr england said uh, you know put it earlier th- uh, this year and the bottom line here is think about this and this is not hypothetical good. uh fleet averages seven miles a gallon for their trucks right. um they're going to run 8,400 miles in a month perhaps that's about a hundred thousand a year um so all of us, that's 12,000 gallons are going to have to burn. Now, if you look at this $0.70 cent reduction, all of a sudden, that's 8000 bucks in their pocket. Uh, and I can't overemphasize the importance of that. Um, consider, for, by comparison, in a couple of hours, we're going to hear what the Federal Reserve does with interest rates. Right. Suppose they raise rates one percentage point. That's for if you're buying an asset for over five years for 115 thousand dollars, you're talking about paying about sixty dollars more per month. So, mm-hmm. if, if you're a trucker, what's what's of more immediate value to you—that money that you're saving in the uh, fuel pump or the fifty bucks you? Uh, The far smaller 50 (laughs) bucks are going to pay the banker. Clearly at the
0: fuel pump.
2: Mm -hmm. To Uh, to add on to that and to contextualize it, because I uh, was talking with Bob earlier uh, this week. Bob Costello, Costello, Bob Costello, A.T.A. chief economist. Um, You look at a penny change in fuel prices. If you annualize that, penny up or down to the industry is 388 million dollars in total. Uh, So you know, and that's if you annualize that. The you know Bob does math. I don't do math. Um, So it's not insignificant at all.
3: Yeah, I'll 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 do the math for you. That might be uh, 26 billion, uh, which is about a four percent, three to four percent saving Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, fleet's operating costs.
0: Mm -hmm. Massive. Um, Rip, you spoke with Mike Roth, um, who's doing some interesting things as well, and uh, we have a clip. Why don't you set that up for us? He talked a bit about fuel.
3: Um, Mike. Brings, uh, comes to us from the uh, North American Council on freight efficiency uh, he's got a wide range of knowledge about how fleets can capitalize not just on, not on the lower fuel prices but on the steps that will help them whenever fuel prices go up again Mike thanks again for joining us we really do appreciate your taking the time. What I'd like to do today first is to find out a, li- a little bit more about what your organization does and what you try to do to help trucking. Very
4: briefly. Yeah, very good. I lead the North American Council for Freight Efficiency. It's a nonprofit startup. We're unbiased, but we're comprehensive about how we look at technologies, and our whole goal is to accelerate the adoption of things like low rolling resistance tires, aerodynamics, powertrain technologies to get better fuel economy and save money for, uh, for the fleets. We, we do not get into recommending individual manufacturers of the technologies, but we definitely do on the technologies. Um, we, we, uh, we use a matrix that says to what level do we think there's a payback on this technology, short or later, shorter the better from a financial mm-hmm. standpoint. And then we show um, to what level of information, how much information is available for the fleet to make that decision. So if it's a newer technology, there may not be that much information. But what we find often in our work is that it it looks, we conclude it has a a quick payback, and there's a lot of data and a lot of information about it. Those are the ones that we would recommend and say, fleets, you should buy this, or at least be testing it and looking at it because it has a payback. We go interview all the stakeholders around these technologies. So we talk with fleets, we talk with owner-operators, we talk with small and medium-sized fleets. Um, So that's like the end-users. We talk with shippers, we talk with the truck and trailer manufacturers, Component manufacturers, and then even other people like EPA SmartWay, um, other folks that are interested in uh, trucking dealers, uh, and, and we try to get that total perspective. So what you see from us, and what we, you know, work hard to do, is to get all that perspective and bring that into uh, aggregation. This 2016 will be the year where we um, solidify uh, the second phase of greenhouse gas regulations for commercial trucks, and. The proposed rulemaking came last summer. Comment period um, has been this fall, and now the, the the agencies will figure out what that what that will be, and that will be important because that will set in place a um, stringency of new truck and trailer production. Phase two, I think, what we're seeing is then, you know, that expectation of uh, increasing fuel economy over you know steps in the regulation between now and 2027. Um, that, uh, that you know, in reality, uh, will make a difference. The greenhouse gas regulations are going to happen. Okay. Um, and we need to figure that out together. Uh, it will have benefits in fuel savings and total cost of ownership savings if we do it right. Okay. And um, and so I think uh, attention to that's important um, going into 2016, 17, and beyond. Uh,
0: Eugene, one of the things that Mike Roth mentioned was um, greenhouse gas the greenhouse gas proposal uh, laying out suggested standards remind us of uh, what happened with
2: that
1: you know here again we have uh you know that 2015 which was such a busy year for transportation and uh this was uh the a joint proposal uh, by epa and nitsa the national highway traffic safety administration uh and it basically uh, is meant to tighten uh, the emissions of carbon dioxide uh, through 2027. 20, uh, and it would uh, include different standards for uh, engines, trailers, and vehicles. Uh, and this is in the final rule uh, on GHG, uh, this phase two, is uh, an EPA has indicated it will come out in the summer of 2016, so t- summer next year. Uh, in the administration, uh, the Obama administration has been very aggressive in addressing uh, man-made climate change, uh, so this falls under that umbrella effort. Okay. Sean, does the federation
0: like this? Is this a uh, well, we certainly yay are or ver- nay? And we are
1: certainly very supportive of phase
2: one. Uh, phase two, we'll have to see in the, the, the final, uh, you know, how it's finally hashed out. Uh, Early indications that you know the industry will be supportive of, of the goals at least. Uh, some significant changes in phase two from phase one is the, the splitting of engines from tractors. Uh, you know, in phase one it was the whole truck. This is now a you know we're taking each part separately, including trailers for the first time. So we'll. Uh, And that is actually the very first, uh, at least in the proposal, would be the first target would be 2017 model year tractors, or excuse me, trailers. Mm -hmm. So it'll be, you know, it's certainly something that's going to be chief on our watch list for 2016. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, particularly uh, with what we expect will be a uh, relatively quiet year on Capitol Hill, uh, given... (laughs) Electoral politics. Oh yeah. Um, you know the regulatory front is going to be very significant for for ATA and and for the industry.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, well, you, you brought it up, but I, about the regulation and, and and more things to happen uh, next year up there. So so, here's another one for uh, the both of you, Eugene, and for Sean on the regulatory front, and it involves. We talked about it a little bit ago with the omnibus, but um, if we could shed a little more light on it. Um, where the government and industry stand with the use of, of 33s and the hours of service provision. Um, Sean, you can go first and just tell us a little bit more what's the industry's stance on uh, both of these hours of service and twins. Sure,
2: uh, on hours of service, uh, you know, we're very pleased that the omnibus uh, will be, in essence, lengthening the suspension of, uh, of, of the restart restrictions. The restrictions we're talking about, um, Requiring drivers to have two consecutive overnights, one a.m. to five a.m., mm-hmm. and the, using it once every 168 hours mm-hmm. or once the a
0: 34-hour restart. The th-
2: right. The 34-hour restart. Um, you know, we we believed at the time when the rule was being proposed, we, and then we saw that borne out uh, by ATRI data uh, that this was going to increase daytime driving time. It's going to raise crash risk. Uh, there was a provision in last year's omnibus to suspend uh, to suspend those restrictions uh pending study this language uh, essentially you know adds more boxes to check in that study um, and we believe that uh, the agency will uh, you know will, will not uh, be able to show conclusively that this rule improves safety driver health and wellness driver longevity uh, impacts on driver schedules there's a number of things that they'll have to look at so we're, we're very happy that that language is in the omnibus. On 33's you know we're we're obviously disappointed it didn't carry uh, it was supported by parts support on both sides of capitol hill uh... in a small uh... vocal minority uh... opposed it and it ultimately didn't uh, didn't get through but uh, we'll have to see what twenty sixteen brings in terms of uh... you know other potential opportunities and
1: okay. Anything there, else? There, said? yeah there were not a lot of industries that got what they wanted in the omnibus so you know, a different perspective. One out of two is not that bad. Uh, And to take a step back on the Hours of Service uh, Mm -hmm. suspension uh, in recent conversations I've had with FMCSA, they've indicated that the current review of the Hours of Service Restart Rule uh, will be finalized and presented to Congress in February. So obviously, whatever, these new um, enhancements in the omnibus on the study Uh, will, you know, as Sean said, uh, continue that suspension of the restart rule. Uh, To take even a further step back, um, it was surprising to see that before uh, the vote on approving uh, the suspension of the the Hours of Service restart on Capitol Hill in 2014, uh, we saw senators take to the floor in support of, um, of the concerns the industry had raised on Hours of Service. Uh, so it was a bipartisan call, uh, you know, you had uh, senior Democrats and senior Republicans, you know, saying uh, that, in fact, uh, this rule was forcing some drivers to operate in the busy morning hours. Uh, so that really had a lot of, uh, carried a lot of weight. And when we saw in that, that year's omnibus, which was actually referred as a Cromnibus because it was an omnibus and a, and a continuing resolution, resolution. Okay. exactly. <laughs> uh, that, That was the fiscal 2015 uh, funding law, and that's where that suspension um, uh, was initiated. And again, on twin 33s, there was some anticipation uh, earlier in the year that um, that this uh, they were going to authorize them nationwide. uh, Coming after getting out of the House appropriation season in the spring, I had the. I, you know, I came away thinking that there was a lot of momentum on 233s on Capitol Hill, uh, but again, uh, you know, I, I, if you strategize the the Capitol Hill landscape, I really also have to think that uh, there were some key senators and some key positions that were not supportive of this. So, you know, Senator Roger Wickers' uh, colleague in the Senate uh, from the same home state. He, uh, Thad Cochran, he's also the chairman of this funding panel. Uh, so, you know, being in such a senior leadership role, and you had senior Democrats led by California's uh, Dianne Feinstein, who has a lot of cachet in the intelligence uh, circles on Capitol Hill. Uh, all that po- politics, I think, contributed to Three's not ultimately
3: being in the uh, hmm. omnibus. Yeah. Eugene, uh, Eugene, let me just jump in for one second. A moment yeah, or yeah. two ago, you said one out of two is not bad. Well it wasn't exactly one out of two, because the one, um, the first positive, affects the entire industry. It's good oh, yeah. for the entire $700 billion industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thir- twin 33s, while it would provide benefits for some companies, didn't wouldn't necessarily have provided benefits for others correct. right away.
1: Yeah, no, correct. And yeah, and that's a great point, Rip. And I didn't I didn't mean to, uh, what I meant was one out of two for the supporters of what or the backers of that provision and the omnibus. Of course. Yeah. OK. Let me just
0: uh, jump in to remind our viewers that this is live on web, uh, and we're doing our, recapping our year and taking a look at next year. And I'm joined by Transport Topics reporters, Rip Watson and Eugene Mulero, and also ATA spokesman, Sean McNally. You can join the conversation as well, just by uh, sending us an email or a comment to share at ttnews.com, or you can comment directly uh, on this article page. Um, Rip, also this year, big, 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 big news had to do with mergers and acquisitions takeovers um, expansions name it just maybe all of that savings and fuel that you talked about went to some of that tell us um what stood out and why among some of the big deals we Lord, saw this let's, year
3: let's go back to the fuel and some of those benefits in a minute big picture uh the largest company on transport topics top 100 ups, UPS. bought broke coyote logistics uh, uh, an industry leading company which filled a hole in their Service offerings for domestic freight brokerage. Mm-hmm. Uh, FedEx, number two, decided that they wanted to buy TNT, uh, a Dutch based company, which is uh, very strong in Europe and in Asia, to broaden FedEx's worldwide service offerings. Then there was this company called XPO Logistics, which mm-hmm. a few years ago, when Brad Jacobs came into trucking and said, I'm going to uh, make a splash in this industry. Some people doubted that. Uh, now that he's got a 19 billion dollar company, which would become number three on the top 100, um, he's people he bought he people are definitely listening. He bought Conway, a very well known company with 86 years, almost 90 years of history. He bought Norbert Dentrosangle, a French. Uh, trucking and logistics company. Mm -hmm. He bought some smaller uh, trucking companies. Uh, And now uh, he's in a very strong position. At the same time, there were companies like Echo Global Logistics and Mm -hmm. others that also made acquisitions to make themselves bigger. Bottom line though, let's remember all these acquisitions didn't change the picture in the fact that The truckload industry is still very fragmented. The brokerage industry is still very Mm -hmm. fragmented, even though C.H. Robinson is by far the largest. Uh, And the less-than-truckload industry has a handful of major players, but it isn't as if Conway was purchased at the same time that one of its competitors was purchased.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, with companies uh, so flush, tell me what does that mean? For driver pay, for you know the driver shortage, the, you know how, how how far does this go? If you're consolidating, what does this mean? Well, there's
3: no question companies are doing very well uh, in terms of they're collecting higher rates and they're paying less for fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two very uh, big positives. What that means for uh, for rates uh, going forward, the consensus is that freight rates are going to go down all uh, in terms of the pace of their increase just to I'll, reset, oh, I'll okay. restate that S- so again. it's clear slower rate slower increases in large part because there's a feeling that there's enough freight capacity out there right now and what drove up the rates last year uh, to uh, almost unprecedented levels was the fact there wasn't enough capacity and uh, you know, the shippers and brokers just had to pay more to get what they wanted. Um, Now, as far as driver pay, look at last year um, in the third quarter when rates were very strong uh, and the driver shortage was in a difficult situation in part because of hours of service Mm -hmm. restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost 50% of fleets raised driver pay in the third quarter of last year. Uh, led by one company, U.S. Express, that uh, kicked it off. But what's happened since then is that that whole pace of driver pay increases has scaled back and because uh, fleets have already kind of splurged, if you will, mm-hmm. in trying to make their drivers happy. What's happening instead is there's a lot more attention being paid to driver retention uh, and... Uh, there's less attention being paid to things that raise um, driver pay and force try to force people to move mm-hmm. by offering sign-on bonuses
0: I see okay uh, Sean w- from uh, the industry's perspective wh- what, what do you all see bigger companies need bigger drivers so aside from pay um, what are some of the other efforts that are being pushed to combat the uh, the driver shortage
2: right uh, I mean the driver shortage is is still a huge concern for, even though it's, you know, numerically, it, you know, there's 3.4 million truck drivers in the shortage by the end of the year, uh, we estimate is about 48,000. So, you know, scale-wise, it's, uh, you know, the, the numbers are, are important. Uh, we need to also remember that it's not a necessarily a quantity issue, it's a quality issue. Uh, earlier this year, Bob Costello produced a, 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 a semi-regular update on the shortage and found that 88 percent of fleets reported that most of the candidates they get are not qualified mm-hmm. so we're looking at the the qualification side whether it's entry level driver training which there'll be a, a final rule later on this year uh, or excuse me in 2016 mm-hmm. that we're running out of a year for later right, on right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, which is a negotiated rulemaking, and, and we can maybe touch on that some of the details there later um, but also looking at veterans, uh, the hiring our heroes program. Uh, we're about a year into our two-year commitment uh, at ATA to hire 100,000 veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there were some provisions in FAST Act, which <clears throat> excuse me, made it a little bit easier for veterans to transition into uh, careers driving uh... with some of the the licensing requirements in terms of you know converting a military cdl to a civilian cdl mm-hmm. you know some of the the experiential um, requirements can be waived um, but you know the bottom line is uh, our industry needs to hire about eighty nine thousand people to drive truck uh... a year just to keep pace with retirements and industry growth. Okay. So those 89,000 have to come from somewhere and, and we're, you know. So there's really no
0: real contraction just because we're seeing some consolidation. Right.
2: The freight still needs to be moved. Uh, you know, RIPs made several references to it, but trucks move about 70% of the nation's uh, domestic freight tonnage. So, you know, that that's not going to change. Uh, we still need trucks. We still need drivers, no matter how large or small the companies mm-hmm. are.
3: Absolutely. It's just a... I mean, we might be in a bit of a a breathing spell here, uh, you know, before the driver shortage becomes Mm -hmm. much more uh, difficult to deal with for fleets and for their customers.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, Rip, uh, what about on the multimodal uh, front Mm -hmm. as well? What's happening there?
3: Two things uh, that are really important. One is, um, in spite of the fact that there's not as much tonnage growth this year, Um, There's still strong interest in intermodal freight uh, and nearly half of the freight that moves by rail uh, now is truck freight at the beginning and the end of the move. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that's never happened before for a few months this year. There was actually more truck freight than there was everything else moving by rail. Mm -hmm. So um, that's an important trend that I think both trucking and railroads have shown a lot of interest in expanding. Uh, and ultimately, it may be a positive uh, f- from the trucker's perspective for this reason. Uh, occasionally in the past, there have been political uh, headbutting between truckers and railroads about uh, what the uh, regulatory regime should be or what the uh, legal regime should be. Uh, you would think that as more freight goes on trains that uh, we would think that the, that would give the truckers a little more leverage. Speaking of trains, there is currently a mm-hmm. fight going mm-hmm. on. <laughs> um, in fact, once it got, it escalated slightly today. Um, Canadian Pacific uh, Railroad that's based in Canada um, but has ha- had tremendous success reducing its operating ratio, 22 percentage points over three years, mm-hmm. is now going after um, Norfolk Southern, a U.S. company whose operating ratio and business have been kind of languishing. Um, the, we don't know how this is going to come out, but Canadian Pacific has once again enhanced its offer today and they have made it clear that if norfolk southern doesn't come to the table there will be a proxy fight next year and by proxy fight i mean either they will go to the norfolk southern shareholders and say um we'd like you to pass a resolution telling your directors to sit down and talk with canadian pacific or the alternative Uh, would be to post their own slate of directors to uh, to run at the Norfolk Southern General Meeting. Let me finish for two seconds. Only this. Um, Canadian Pacific was uh, transformed in 2012 after an investor named Bill Ackman from Pershing Square Capital successfully led a... Uh, an ousting of the merge of the Canadian Pacific Directors and installed his guy named Hunter Harrison to run the railroad and we've seen what happens.
0: Well, it's a 28 billion dollar deal. What is Norfolk Southern holding out for? Is it more money or they just don't want to be absorbed? Do do analysts have, do we have a clue? Uh,
3: Well, Norfolk Southern is very adamant that they think that this is not going to go anywhere uh, at the Surface Transportation Board, the Rail Regulatory Agency. That there's no precedent for it. That the proposed structure that Canadian Pacific has put out there is uh, illegal and doesn't work. Of course, on the other hand, Canadian Pacific claim today that um, every single time this their strut the structure they've proposed has been considered by the SDB, it's been approved. So um, there is a, a much larger issue, probably for another live on web about why Norfolk Southern doesn't like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could say that they certainly don't want to give up the uh, position that they're in, all the positions that they're in. Um, You could also say that the railroad industry in general doesn't like Canadian Pacific coming in because Canadian Pacific is proposing to make some changes in rail uh, Uh. access for, uh, that could theoretically reduce the revenue for the freight railroads. I see, okay. In the U.S.
0: So that's, all right, so we got a lot of things that are going on. In the yes. All right, well that's a big wait and see, so 2016 ought to be um, as, as inviting about that. Let's um, talk about technology. Um, the innovation has been everywhere in every industry, no need to think it did not permeate trucking as well, and some really cool things uh, were going on uh, with the truck. Uh, the trailer and the gadgets that are in both, um, perhaps the most buzz was about autonomous vehicles and platooning, things like that. And that's something that, again, you and Mike Roth had a chance to chat about. Why don't you tell us about it? Well,
3: without further ado, let's, uh, let's go right to
4: uh, what Mike has to say. He's got plenty on his mind. I think driverless vehicles is something that can happen in uh, 20, 30 years. Good or bad? Good. Um, good. If some have them and some don't, I think uh, they can they can mix together. I think uh, over that twenty or thirty years we're going to see that. Um, I think there's uh, a whole bunch of incremental steps to there. Okay. Um, driverless trucks in particular. Good, bad, indifferent. Sure. I mean, I'm an engineer and I look at the uh, technologies that are being delivered, and I, I we can do that. You know, we can, we, can, we can stay away from things. We can uh, um, uh, manage the long, lonely highways without um, without uh, without drivers in the trucks. Now, I'm not naive in saying that this is going to happen tomorrow, but I think if we're thinking 20, 30 years down the road um, and our ability to, um, you know, think of a small, you know, we've done so much work on efficiency, we could use a 100-horsepower engine to haul some of these trailers across the uh, country. So maybe it's a little engine buried in a trailer and okay. there's no tractor at all. Okay. actually why autonomous trucks are coming out, you know. Let's don't worry about putting lines in the road, let's let the truck see the road that that already exists and operate within it.
0: All right, so Rip, tell us uh, how are fleets absorbing some of these changes that are coming at, you know, a very rapid pace?
3: Um, I would say that if we're talking about things like autonomous trucks and we're talking about platooning, There are not, those things aren't happening yet. So they're not really absorbing anything. Uh, But it's really important to note that fleets have taken advantage of all kinds of important advancements in uh, the way that they do their business. You know, whether it's TMS systems, Mm -hmm. whether it's uh, more in-cab technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's certainly been, no shortage of fleet's willingness to move forward with technology that's proven its worth such as TMS systems or such as uh, things like, uh, you know, wide wide base tires.
0: Gotcha. But in terms of the vehicle, that's still so concept at the moment that what you do is watch it and be in awe.
3: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) All right, Eugene. Legislators, are they grappling with grappling with any of this in any way? We saw what happened with ELDs, but any other tech things as it relates to trucking, anything else going on there?
1: Yeah. The transportation panels have um, over the years looked at advanced technologies, especially uh, any system that can improve safety, not only on highways, but also in intermodals. Uh, and you know, an example I can think of is um, you know, the Commerce Committee and the Senate, uh, they've held a series of hearings uh... the most recent one in the spring uh... in which they did look at you know the benefits of uh... intelligent technology autonomous vehicles um, and uh... there's an expectation uh... not not by next year but there's uh... the likelihood that in the new congress now i'm skipping two years down the road uh... there's going to be uh... legislation that may be a head-on look at uh, regulation, You know, proposing uh, regulations for autonomous vehicles, but that's still, you know, in the future and, and there's a lot of maybes in that. In the 2015 FAST Act just signed into law, there are uh, provisions in there uh, that would... Um, for studies on vehicle-to-vehicle technology. Uh, so industry, I know, is looking uh, to see what uh, comes out of those studies. Okay. So a lot of things to come. Sean, Eugene
0: just took us two years into the crystal ball. <laughs> so let's, let's come. we can come back a little bit, okay. though, and just go to 2016. Uh, what would the industry like to see? What are lawmakers or regulators already have on mm-hmm. deck? uh for 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 2016 what's what's hanging out there i'm actually
2: going to start by taking us a little bit to the past uh this right. october uh at our mcne uh on the subject of technology and, and trucking being interested in, in various types of safety you technology. just removed
0: the crystal ball but go ahead uh, yeah, yeah
2: well, just push to the side for a okay. minute um ata uh our board endorsed or not endorsed um Called upon uh, truck manufacturers to make automatic emergency braking mm-hmm, standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, this follows a NHTSA IIHS uh, press event uh, earlier in this in the fall, where the automakers, ten automakers, agreed that this was uh, something they would be doing in the in the near future. We sort of followed on that, uh, sort of before regulation gets promulgated on uh, on the technology. Uh, so now pushing the crystal ball back, uh, bringing Thank it back you. on the table. Um, we believe 2016 will be the year that we finally see a uh, final rule on speed limiters. Uh, ATA had, uh, had petitioned for this in 2006, so maybe a decade is just long enough to, uh, to, to get this rule done. Uh, it, it comes on as part of ATA's package of, of various safety initiatives that we, we support uh, center on speed. Uh, and speed limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speed is, is a, a very important safety uh, you know, aspect of safety. Uh, about a third of all fatal crashes uh, involve excess speed. Uh, speed is the number one associated factor with uh, with fatal crashes. So we believe if we can slow down trucks and cars, uh, you know, we, we we've noticed a disturbing trend of of states raising their speed limits uh, as fa- 75, 80, mm-hmm. 85 mm-hmm. In, in some states. Uh, thank you, Texas. Um, st- which is just too fast for safety. So we're hopeful that we'll see a uh, a final rule there. Mm-hmm. Uh, ad- additional final rules we talked about entry-level driver training. Right. Uh, this will most likely be a uh, it's a negotiated rulemaking. They brought all the stakeholders together in a room, talked about it, and so that hopefully will will make for a an easy uh, an easy transition to a, a final rule. Uh, it'll be an hours-based uh, standard. Uh, we had been pushing for a performance-based mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just simply. Punching a
1: clock, Uh, we'll see how that works out. And is Uh, that something they've been working on since the '80s? It's been it's
2: been a long (laughs) time coming. You know, the the, the gears of government grind slowly. Since the movie Back to the Future came out. Yes. (laughs) Um, Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse. We talked about hair testing. Um, Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse was something that was called for by MAP 21. Uh, So we'll finally see that uh, come out. We're very supportive of that in concept. Uh, There are some. Landmine. There were some landmines in the proposed uh, rule that we hope get ironed out in the final. Uh, specifically, that the clearinghouse would only house data on testing. It would not house uh, information on either observation. You know, mm-hmm. if your supervisor sees you uh, using drugs or alcohol behind the wheel, um, <laughs> or uh, or if you self-report. If you if you say you know I've you know I, I came to, uh, yeah I got a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we believe those probably should be in the the clearinghouse as part of the the full information that uh, is provided because they would count as violations uh, under current law. Uh, and... Yeah, Carous, those, what
0: about safety, fitness determination? Is that what it, it cleared for?
2: OMB, uh, but it will be interested to see what that looks like because there are some uh, connections to the CSA scores uh, where the CSA scores cannot be used... in, in FAST, yeah. the CSA scores cannot be used as part of that safety fitness determination process. So Correct. we'll be curious to see how that resolves it itself, like. and that would be that would be a proposed rule as opposed to a final rule. So that's still several years out. Okay. Presumably, be several years out in implementation. Well, uh, Eugene, then perhaps the biggest <coughs> one um, still uh,
0: seems like it would be the Senate confirmation of Scott Darling, the acting administrator of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, which is tasked with overseeing yeah. everything that Sean just talked about. So, what do we know? If anything, are they closer to this? The year is you know, on its way out. Any likelihood it will happen? Or is this uh, firmly into next year? Or is this never? Do we know?
1: We've got an indication from the Senate panel that they want to move forward on. The Senate Commerce Committee wants to have a hearing with Scott Darling to examine his qualifications. We know that uh, the administ- acting administrator uh, has submitted the questionnaire uh, before the committee. Uh, There were, you know, we've written about it. There's no real red flags. He was um, nominated by the president over the summer to lead FMCSA Um, right now, because the end of the year and Congress is expected to adjourn this Friday, uh, the Senate committee is going to take it up early next year. um, And he would be the last of the major sub agencies that um, the last nominee for the major sub agencies at DOT uh, to get a hearing before the panel. Uh, the expectation is that if Senate Commerce approves him, he will very likely be confirmed uh, by the Senate. Uh, so that's Scott Darling. Uh, and also on some other issues in 2016, Uh, Laurie, uh it's, a, it's obviously a presidential year, so not a lot on the legislative front, and we got the highway law this month, uh, but w- in 2016 we're going to see the implementation of the provisions, uh, the beginning of uh, mm-hmm. the FAST Act. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that uh, to track, not only see how the reforms to CSA are are going, but also you know, the hair testing provision uh, in the FAST Act, the uh, Health and Human Services Department has a year uh, to set standards uh, for hair testing. Uh, they have to give that to DOT for DOT to give it its green light. Uh, so that will happen December 2016. Right. And, and then also, uh, and Sean can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, sometime in the spring, we're gonna see uh, an advanced notice of proposed rule on sleep apnea. Uh, that's um, that's uh, going to go, you know, take a step further, uh, you know. And it's going to be posted on the federal register. But again, um, something
0: that was already underway. So yeah. we, we're Nothing new doesn't doesn't seem as if there'll be much that's new. A lot of implementing what's already been talked about. Hopefully, uh, rip on the business front. Any other key factors in 2016? We can.
3: Let me make it. Should a, let me try. To? Let me try to make a transition here. Um, 2016 looks to me like it's going to be a year of digestion of all of these changes after the trucking industry dealt with an awful lot of indigestion in recent years. Um, what a phrase. So if you're a fleet um, and you're in an election, you know, you'd have to think Congress is gonna be looking elsewhere as Sean and Eugene have noted. Um, so this would suggest that this is going to, the door is open for this to be a year of kind of continuing the, the direction that we've gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, modest freight growth, uh, driven by modest GDP growth, um, equipment purchases that mm-hmm. were really strong, uh, but slowed down late in the year, maybe slow the pace, mm-hmm. slowing mm-hmm. down a little bit more. Um, what does that mean for drivers? Uh, probably drivers are going to continue to get a little more money. Um, Fuel, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, that gives lots of people indigestion. I don't even want to get anywhere close mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, access to capital, maybe if interest rates go up a, uh, a bit, which they're seeming to do, right. then you know maybe that's going to put the pressure on some of the more marginal fleets. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, over the long term... To, to, to put the pressure on them to slow capital expenditures uh, well or...
3: The, Put the pressure on some of the more marginal fleets, who may not have uh, the the money to be able to to stay in, not necessarily not stay in business, but not be able to reinvest in their fleets. Uh, Last but not least, you know, we if we've got uh, we've been in a market with a modest driver shortage and modest growth and a modest economy overall behind it. Um, You'd think that this year coming up would be one when there would not be uh, huge changes in what happens in uh, the trucking industry's broad Mm -hmm. direction. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to wrap up my thoughts only by saying that if there is some world-shaking issue such as Security that, res- that resounds throughout the industry and throughout the U.S. in general, that's likely to uh, perhaps make a change in this. All you need to do is look at what happened to the U.S. economy after 9 2000- 11. Right, right.
0: Okay, okay. Um, let's take a few more questions that have come in. Uh, Sean, one for you. Um, This is from Rebecca Sandy, owner of Sandpen Logistics, and she says, what is ATA supporting for a replacement to CSA scores?
2: Sure. Excuse me. I don't think we're looking for a replacement for CSA. I think what we're looking for is improvements to the current system. Uh, ATA's position has been pretty clear from the beginning that we support the goals and aims of CSA, which, you know, at its heart, CSA is a, a system for law enforcement to target bad actors in our industry, okay. uh, those who have, you know, safety records that are poor. Uh, so we're looking for improvements to that system so that, they ac- so that the system can accurately point out the, the carriers that, uh, that are unsafe. Um, so we'll be looking to see how uh, the CSA reforms from FAST Act are implemented. Uh, one uh, that we haven't spoken about but uh, is very important is the, the how CSA will ultimately deal with uh, non-preventable, not-at-fault crashes. Um, currently um, those crashes are. are tell, tell us what those are. Non-preventable. Not well. Somebody's run into the so, truck. Somebody runs into a truck where the truck has no reasonable expectation of, of avoiding the crash. Uh, you know, exa- good examples or not good examples, but examples are a drunk driver crosses the center line and hits a truck head on, uh, speeding truck hit or speeding car hits the back of a truck. Those sorts of things where where, where the truck driver could not have reasonably prevented the crash. Mm-hmm. Um, Those crashes are currently built into the system. They are, you know, it counts as a crash against your crash indicator. It flags you potentially for future enforcement, even though your truck and driver had no real expectation that they would be uh, able to to avoid that. Um, The Motor Carrier Safety Advisory Committee now has a year, I think, to come back to FMCSA with recommendations on how those crashes are to be dealt with, mm-hmm. uh, how they're to be identified, police records, things of that nature. Uh, and then the agency has to say how they're going to adopt uh, the recommendations of the MIX Act. So we're hopeful that uh, that, that will ultimately res- uh, the ultimate resolution will be those crashes don't get counted against uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, the trucking companies. The way that they're not counted against individual drivers uh, by their insurance companies. You know, If you're not at fault, you're, you're not responsible, you're not liable, then that, that principle should carry through into CSA. Okay. Uh, Rip, we have one
0: from uh, Jane Sandefier, Vice President of Business <coughs> Solutions at Advanced Shipping Technologies. And uh, she wants to know, what do you see in store for 3PLs? Will the market continue to collapse with buyouts and consolidations as we're seeing in 2015? are specialized 3PLs having greater success? You
3: Jane, think- thanks for that question. I love it. Um, and partly because it gives me a chance to uh, go back to revise a little bit of what I said okay. um, earlier about consolidations and consolidating. Uh, we got to remember that in the third-party logistics world, there has been a lot of consolidation with purchases uh, by companies such as UPS. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, but this industry is still not really fully consolidated and it's a long way from being there. Okay. Um, I think the other, th- the, what many people might think is coming up in 16 for the 3PLs is continuation of the things that they've done very well, which is they've come in and they've pr- shown over the years that they do a terrific job of being able to provide value for a shipper um, and provide value for smaller fleets that don't have their own Mm. marketing departments. So, uh, again, it would seem logical to expect more of the same.
0: Okay. Uh, Eugene, uh, one we have also from uh, Larry Walker. He's an office manager at Alabama Carriers, Inc. And he wants to know what effect, if any, will the pending 2016 election have on the trucking industry? And you Started to touch on that a little bit ago.
1: Um, well, if if we're talking about the election overall, not only the run for the White House but also Congress. Uh, if we talk about Congress, um, if you know, if there is a uh, a shift in leadership, especially in the Senate. So, if the Senate is currently uh, run by the Republicans, if it turns for uh, for the Democrats, uh, then you can see uh, Democratic efforts. Um, and their priorities. So uh, now you have uh, lawmakers who have, you know, views on size and weight, and have views on the Twin 33s, and you know, that have certain oppositions to uh, FMCSAs, uh, HOS, uh, you know, to reinstating uh, the suspension of the HOS. Now they're in a position of leadership. So there, you would see a significant change. Uh, it's, there's no expectation really that the House is going to. The, the, the GOP majority is so strong in the ho- on the House side that the House is gonna flip. Uh, if anything, there's expectation that it's not gonna flip for several Congresses. Uh, and then for the White House, um, you know, to take a, a step back, there's actually three candidates uh, uh, that have presented transportation uh, plans and infrastructures, and that's you know, Hillary Clinton Uh, the former first lady, she has presented a business reform package uh, to pay for infrastructure programs. Uh, The independent from uh, Vermont Bernie Sanders has a trillion dollar infrastructure plan, but no way uh, to pay for it. And Rand Paul, the Senator from Kentucky on the Republican side has a infrastructure bank that he has proposed with Democrat uh, Barbara Boxer but that infrastructure proposal in the Senate hasn't picked up any steam. All right, and just want to add there
0: that Hillary Clinton is also a former senator from New York and former Secretary of State. Of course. Sean, uh, one for you from Dawn Dredgier. I hope I did you right there, Dawn. She's the president of SAP Referral Services. And her question is, has there been any movement on the development of a centralized reporting system for the drug and alcohol test results?
2: right and we spoke about that before we're, we're hoping that the the clearinghouse rule will be finalized and published in 2016 uh, again it's an important rule for trucking uh, because we want to make sure that we're hiring the the safest most qualified drivers uh, we talked a little bit about the qual uh, the quality issue and in, in you know with respect to the driver shortage and this is a big loophole there, there were congressional hearings there were um, many, you know, you know, a lot of debate and discussion about this loophole of job hopping, where a driver could be terminated from uh, company A for a positive drug test and then simply move to another state or, or wait out uh, a little bit and get hired at another company, that second company not having any knowledge of his prior, uh, prior offense. So, you know, we're hoping that uh, the clearinghouse rule will be out soon and in, in, sometime early in 2016 and then that loophole will get closed all right uh
0: rip uh, i think this is uh, our final question for today uh it's from brian day business development manager at driving ambition inc what do you expect to see in 2016 along the way of trends for driver pay driver benefits or even driver qualifications such as insurance requirements or experience and age uh, to continue to help offset the continuing driver shortage. Sean, you feel free to, mm-hmm. to weigh in after this as well.
3: Well, good. Um, <laughs> frankly, I think we talked about this a little bit, uh, which is that we could probably expect modest growth in the economy, uh, helps trucking modestly, and helps push driver pay up modestly. Mm-hmm. Um, the bigger thing here that we need, we're thinking more in the larger scheme about the driver shortage. Um, one of the things that strikes, I think, anyone who listens to what Sean and Eugene have said is uh, these changes that are being put in place by the, uh, by the government and by uh, companies that are in business and are trying to find a way to, to thrive, uh, these changes are making the job of being a truck driver who represents the large majority of the number of people in the industry, um, that much more difficult to do. And you know, in response to that, uh, all you the obvious easy thing to say is that what's going to f- happen here is that the companies who are in the business are going to have to find new and different ways to satisfy mm. their most important, uh, asset, and I don't th- like to think of a person as uh, as you know an asset I'm like a, like a new truck. But there's a complete perfect connection that you'll see if you, uh, without naming the fleet, um, you can look out on the highway, and this is one of the large ones. And there's a big arrow on the side of their trailers that says the most important in our people in our business uh, is right is, is right here, mm-hmm. and. That's kind of where we are.
2: Yeah, they got to move the freight, Sean. I mean, I would agree with that the the, the the most important piece of safety technology or safety equipment in uh, in a truck is the driver. Uh, all these things, whether it's electronic logging or automatic emergency braking, all those are only assistance to uh, to the driver. The, you know, drivers. You know, I'm gonna uh, I'll get some eye rolls here, but drivers really do <laughs> move America forward. Uh, so eye roll. Yeah. So so Not I mean. For me. And you know, we're, we're, you know, we're proud of our drivers. Uh, you know, they, they really do uh, an excellent job uh, for, for this industry and, and we appreciate uh, what they do. And, and you know, I think we're gonna see more tangible signs of that appreciation uh, in the future.
0: All right, well thank each of you. We'll have to leave it there for now. A replay of today's program as well as our full interview with Mike Roth of the North American Trucking Council for Freight Efficiency will be available later today at ttnews.com. Live on Web is also available in podcast form. Go to iTunes, search Live on Web, and subscribe. We'd like to know what you think of our show. Send us feedback by going to liveonweb.ttnews.com slash subscribe. I'd like to thank our sponsor for today's show, Select Trucks as well as my colleagues, senior business reporter, Rip Watson, congressional reporter, Eugene Mulero, ATA spokesman, Sean McNally, and our production team, Joseph Terry, Kevin Eaton, Tara McClellan, Shehab Mustafa, and digital media editor, Gary Kosinski. And of course, thank you for watching and for participating. I'm Lori Grant, from all of us at Transport Topics, to all of you, HAPPY HOLIDAYS.